So as I said at the beginning, we're starting something uh, new today that's kind of uh, part of our preparations, and then we'll get right into it, ready, steady, go, on uh, the 1st of January. John 1, uh, the chapter, or the part of the chapter that Margaret read to us, is going to set the agenda for us for all our services uh, this Christmas, because Jesus is the Word. That's how the Bible introduces him to us. He is the living message from God in all its fullness. And we always need to remember that didn't, Jesus didn't simply arrive out of nowhere, but there was a whole history, a whole journey of his preparation, of preparation for his coming. And the Old Testament is nothing less than the story of getting ready for Jesus. You see, we need to always remember that God's written word, the Bible, always points to his living word, Jesus. God's written word always points to the living word. The Bible always points to Jesus. And we'll see that, I hope, as we travel through the story. All the things that needed to be in place so that people would understand who Jesus was, why he had come, and what he was doing. For now, I just want us to note, as it were, the connection between the written word and the living word. And we concentrate on this verse this morning. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. There is life to be found in the Bible because it always points to Jesus who is the source of all life. And it's that life I want us to concentrate our time on for a moment. You see, we know that Jesus came to bring us life and we know that we should be pumped up, fired up, revved up for Jesus day and night. But we also know that the reality is rather different. And that's why I just wanted to draw that diagram again that we had at the church meeting, because I think it resonates with so much of what I'm thinking about at the moment and our experience as we come here week by week. Imagine with me just for a second that this line here is a measure of how pumped up, fired up, raring to go for Jesus you are, okay? So you're either down here or you're up there. Pumped up, fired up. And imagine that this line across the bottom is a week, starts on a Sunday, and the second week starts on another Sunday. Now so often, and I hope this is true, when you come here on Sunday, and many people are kind enough to say so as they leave, they say, wow, I feel really fired up now, ready for the week. And we hope you are fired up. Andrew or Sally and the musicians will have bust a gut to give you a feast. The, 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 the visual people have worked hard to get that ready. Other people have worked hard to get the church ready. The welcome team will be there to welcome you. I'll have thought for a couple of minutes about what I'm going to say as well. And we want to get you fired up and pumped up. And so you go, oh, I'm really ready for the week now. But you also sound a little bit like it's the first time in a whole week you've actually breathed in pure air. <gasps> so there you are, Sunday pumped up, ready to go into the week. Sunday lunch, a bit heavy. Clearing up, it's pouring pouring with rain. Kids are going berserk. You've still got your shirts to iron. Monday morning's meeting starts at 8 o'clock. You know you're still not ready for it. 
And so the rot begins to set in. And with all good intention, we start our week up here, but we very, very quickly get ourselves going down here, down here, down here as the week goes on. And then you come back in here and we pump you up and fire you up. Whoa! And off we go again. Now, the issue is this. During the week, that's when I need to be most pumped up and fired up for God. That's when I'm going to make a difference in God's world. If I'm pumped up and fired up in here, the only person who changes is me. Yes? Hello? Okay. We need to be fired up, pumped up. The trouble is, as soon as I get out there, when I should be up here, I find that I'm wallowing down here. Woe betide someone who meets us on Friday. You know, we're out of it. Jesus, who? Maybe you go to your small group. And that helps a little bit, and you get a little lip. Or as someone said, maybe it does that when you get to your small group. But that's another story. <clears throat> uh, talk to me about your small group. So, so at the moment when the heat is on, when I'm in the heat of the battle, when I'm supposed to be there, revved up, fired up, pumped up for Jesus, I find that I'm wallowing down here. And when I say I, I mean me. It does this for me too. You know, occasionally Sunday pumps me up as well. What do we do... What do we do to fill in this all-important gap? Which I suggest to you, we have to fill in if we're going to make a difference in God's world in the way we believe he's asking us to. Anyone else agree with that? At the church meeting, just as an aside, I talked about one vehicle, one tool that we might use uh, to close that gap called huddles. Reflecting on that evening, there are two things I just need you to understand about that. We were in a rush, weren't we, on that Tuesday night? And I think I gave you the impression that we were in a hurry. I've been here 16 years, almost. I'm not in a hurry. Okay? So we're not in a hurry. This is a long haul. The second thing I think you need to understand is what I was talking about was really hard. And some of you maybe have slipped into thinking that that I find it easy, but you'll find it hard. I need you to understand that something like a huddle, I would rather preach to a thousand people for a hundred days and lead a huddle with some of you. (laughs) Yeah? This is hard. This is hard. But I'm more determined than ever that God's kingdom should break out in us and with us so that we cannot help ourselves but make a difference in the world. Amen? Someone say amen. And so we try these things. So that, that was just an aside. Another, another vehicle, though, I want to talk to you uh, this morning. Let me move this over here just in case you can't see the screen. Another vehicle I want to talk to us about this morning, about that gap, is this journey that we're on. Something for all of us. How can we close the gap? I wish there was another way. I wish there was another way. I wish there was an easy way. I wish there was a way that didn't demand so much of me physically, emotionally, and spiritually. But let me share with you another vehicle for closing the gap. And it's this. It's to look, listen, and live God's word every day every day. If you're serious about closing the gap in your life, if you really want this graph for you to change, then you need to be serious about looking in God's word every day. 
And you need to be dead serious about listening with every ounce of your spiritual ears to what God is longing to say to you. And you need to be trained to hear and you need to be longing to live every word that you hear him speak. This is so important that we're going to spend the whole of next year thinking about it encouraging one another. The whole of next year, not just talking about it, but doing it. And and I want to tell you, it works. What Helen said works. On Tuesday night, Claire had a Bible study prepared, and she thought, because we were doing this on Sunday, she'd just share the soap thing with some of our young people, and lots of them are into it anyway. And they sat around, they all heard God speak, they all shared what God was saying, they all planned what they would do about it, and she never got time to do a Bible study. What a brilliant evening. Small group leaders on, on, on um, oh, whatever night, Wednesday night probably, we sat around, opened up God's word, prayed that God would speak to us, and in minutes we're sharing the things that God is saying to us. He longs to speak to us every day. So, I'm inviting you, over these next three weeks, to get ready to travel the journey. I'm inviting you to choose that you're going to make the journey. And I'm inviting you to begin to get ready, to have the tools that you'll need, to think about the time that you'll need, to think about the commitment that you will make. As Jesus says, no one builds a tower without counting the cost, unless he's silly, that is. I'm inviting you to think about the cost of making this journey together. The latest Bible Society statistics tell us that only 7% of people in churches open their Bibles between Sundays. If we're average, then very few of us here will open our Bibles before next week. I'd like to kid myself, we're better than average, but every minister likes to do that. And out of those 7% that read their Bibles, many of us are cloaked in evangelical guilt so that when we get to the end of our reading, we're so smug we've done it that day, we skip into it without listening to a word of what God might be saying. Or we're so driven by some Protestant work ethic that it's all about getting it done and how good am I? Out of the 7% that read, I reckon, I don't know, I shudder to think how many of us have learned the discipline of listening and living. Listening and living. We're going to spend the whole year on this journey of listening and living. And I invite you to join us. Why is the Bible the answer? Because the Bible points us to Jesus. And Jesus is life and light. Anyway, it's obvious. You knew that, didn't you? What do you need to do to get closer to Jesus, to live more like him? It wouldn't be too many hands before we had, I need to read my Bible. We know that's what we need to do. So let's get rid of all the guilt and all the rubbish stuff that comes with that. And let's encourage us to start doing something different and new together. So what do we do then about this gap? And why is the Bible the answer? I want to talk about, or or suggest three reasons this morning, why I think the Bible is the answer to helping us live the life that we believe God has for us. That's the life 
up here. If I live the life God has for me, I will not help myself but make a difference in his world. Because that's what God is like. So what must I do? To live the life, I must firstly guard my heart. Above all else, says Proverbs, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. To live the life, my heart needs to be full. I will not get close if my heart is not full. Jesus said a very sobering thing. He said it's impossible to live your life in contradiction to your heart. Your life will always, in the end, demonstrate what's in your heart. The good man brings good things out of the good stored where? In his heart. The evil man, evil things out of the evil stored where? In his heart. Sorry, I'm making fun of you now. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The actions come, the beliefs come. Out of the overflow of the heart. When you've had a row with someone, now for many of you that'll be hypothetical, I understand that. But when you've had a row with someone, it's really hard to be grace and light and love because what's in your heart keeps spilling out all over the place. So Jesus says, guard your heart. He put it like this, if you want to live the life I'm giving you, you'll need what in your heart? You'll need streams of life-giving water flowing deep within you. The trouble is your heart is under intense pressure. Every day, your heart takes a right old battering. Unending demands, bills, worries, responsibilities, demanding children, relational bruises, deadlines, traffic, commuting, endless choices, chaos, chatter. Your heart is pounded every single day. And it's pushing you and squeezing you to conform to this world. And the beat goes on and on and on. And if you're going to live the life, You've got to guard your heart. You must guard your heart. Otherwise, it'll quickly get crushed. Otherwise, the life God would pour into you on a Sunday will evaporate by Sunday lunchtime unless you guard your heart, which means protecting what your heart feeds on. To be full, your heart needs to be fed and nourished every day with the life-giving words of God. The psalmist put it beautifully. He says this, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now we think of sins as big bad things, don't we? And they are. But sin is anything less than living the life God has for you. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not stray one little iota off the life you've given to me. I've hidden your word that I might not sin. I might not fall off that perfect plan you have for me. To live the life, we must guard our hearts. Secondly, to live the life, I must grasp God's good works for me to do. You see, there are all kinds of things that God wants us to do. Many of the things God wants us to do, we share in common, don't we? 
And then there are the particular things that he wants me to do and the particular things he wants you to do. You see, I am unique and God has a unique plan for my life. Now, some of you felt much stronger about the first part of that sentence than the second. I am unique and God has a unique plan for my life. And exactly the same is true for you. God has good works, good plans for you. Would you indulge me for a moment? Oh yes, thank you, Chris. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, do you know what? God has great plans for your life. Here it is. Let's read it together. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Think of Jesus' life. How amazing were his good works. How transforming in people's lives and in communities. God has prepared those kind of good works, the good works in Christ Jesus, for you and me to do. Hallelujah. It's unbelievable really, isn't it? Prepared in advance. Not a last-minute decision, prepared long ago. Not, oh, I'll give them something to keep them out of mischief. Prepared long ago. And you have a choice as a Christian. As a Christian, you have a choice to go around in some kind of daze or to passionately pursue the good works that Jesus has prepared especially for you. But to passionately pursue the good works that Jesus has especially for you you have to begin to see what they are. And how do you begin to see what they are? You begin to see what they are by learning from the examples in God's Word, which is jam-packed. The Bible says these things have been written down to teach us the ways of God. I was so pleased with this next sentence when I wrote it on Thursday, I thought it should be a quote. You know, Simon Harris. I thought, wow, that looks like a quote. Fantastic. Here it is. The more you study the ways of God in general, the more you will see the ways of God for you in particular. The more you study the ways of God in general, the more you will see the way of God in your life in particular. As a mother, for example, look at the brilliant example of Mary, the greatest mother in the Bible. Learn from her story the ways of God. And in learning from her story, see the ways of God for you as a mother. Study the ungodly mothers in the Bible too and learn how their ungodliness hampered God's work in their families. Someone in business, study Solomon amongst others. Learn the ways of God that are revealed in his story from success to failure and see the way of God in your work. As a leader, study Nehemiah and David. Learn from Esther who sees the opportunity that many of us miss. Learn from Joseph who navigated through the darkest of valleys. Learn from Paul about church planting and persecution. Learn from Elijah about success and failure. Learn from Jeremiah about struggle and depression. Learn from the Psalms about worship and lament. Learn from Hannah about persistence in prayer. Learn from Jesus about starting a world-changing movement. And so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. It's all there. The Bible says these things happen 
happened was as examples and were written down as warnings, beacons to us. Live like that and don't live like that. The more you see the ways of God, the more you will see the way of God for you in particular. And as we immerse ourselves in these people's stories, their stories will resonate with our stories and we can see how God works and see what he's beginning to do in us and with us. And if I can see how God works, I have a fighting chance to see how God might choose to work with me. Seeing it, though, is not doing it. To live the life, we have to grasp God's good works for us. But we also have to get equipped. If the first problem is we don't see it, the second problem is we can see it, but then be totally inept at responding to it. Imagine if tomorrow morning a set of circumstances presents itself and you can see the good work that God has for you right there, right now, in that moment. But you're just not ready. You don't feel like you've got the skills. You don't feel equipped. You don't feel trained. You don't feel like you've got the insight you need, the emotional reserve that you need, the level of faith that you need. It's just not there. And so you stand there, suspended in time, dithering. And then in a moment, in a flash, the opportunity's gone. And inside you sigh. And heaven sighs with you. Another moment that God had planned from eternity. Gone. Slipped through our fingers. See, let me tell you this. To see God's good work for you and not be ready and equipped is going to leave you feeling like a right muppet. I've been there too many times. You've got to see God's work, but you've got to be ready. Trained up, pumped up, thoroughly equipped. Let's read this one together. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for what? Every good work. The message translation puts this beautifully. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks God has for us. Are you shaped up for what God wants to do with you? Do you know what? I'm 40. I'm halfway through my life. And I'm not sure I'm shaped up for what God wants to do with me. What about you? What about you? So to live the life, you need to guard your heart, you need to grasp the good works God has for you, and you need to get thoroughly equipped. Uh, And listen, don't be fooled by this getting equipped business. You see, you don't have to be fully equipped before God can use you. Don't sit back tomorrow and go, well, I'm not equipped, so I'm going to leave that one until I'm ready. You see, as you begin to understand the ways of God, the first thing you realize is that God is powerful enough and clever enough to use you if you're willing, even when you're not ready. It's His power. And his grace that will pull you through. So tomorrow when you get that opportunity, don't go, oh, I'm just not ready. If only I'd been ready. Trust in his grace and trust in his power. And he'll sort it out. You know, those people who are not trained drive you demented, don't they? 
You go into a shop and you say, can you tell me about this? I'm just not trained for that. What? What a flip are you doing there then in the shop? It's what you're there for. It's a sports shop in Ipswich. I'm not going to name it, although I'm desperate to name it. And you go, tell me about those trainers. This happened to us a couple of weeks ago. Tell me about those trainers. Why is those? We don't know. You can Google it if you like. Flipping heck, what are you doing there, man? Get trained up for the job that you've got. So we've got to get trained up. But if you're not ready tomorrow and the opportunity comes, man, seize it with both hands because God's big enough and clever enough to fix it for you, isn't he? You see, if God wasn't big enough and clever enough, I never would have started this job. Neither would you. He's big enough and he's clever enough. But that doesn't mean I don't need to get myself trained and ready and thoroughly equipped. And that's why the Word of God is there to get me shaped. So the challenge... The challenge comes in three uh, questions this morning. Number one, the challenge. Will I, that's me, you can join me, will I feed on God's word daily? Will I nourish my heart? Will I nurture my soul? Will I water the dry ground that is so often my life? Jeremiah said, when your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord my God, O Lord God Almighty. Notice the balance of that verse. When your words came, I ate them, they were my joy and my delight. Why? For I bear your name. I, I need your word. I cannot go out bearing your name, and we all bear the name of Jesus, unless I've got your word deep in my heart. Otherwise, I'll be bearing your name. Instead of living up here, I'll be all the way down here till I get back into church for and breathe again. I need your word, Jeremiah is saying. I bear your name in every moment of my life unless I'm feeding my soul with the living word of God. I'm stuffed. And yet when I do feed on the word of God, they are to me a joy and a delight. But notice the emphasis in Jeremiah and in this next verse. It's about you. You, singular, need to do the feeding. You see, God will teach you the way but you have to show up to the lesson every day. Turn to the person next to you, because you really enjoyed the last one, didn't you? I could tell you were getting into it, you're just all warming up. And say to them, do you know what? Sunday isn't enough. Okay, now I want you to do it again with a bit more surprise. Do you know what? Sunday isn't enough. Go on. If Sunday was enough, we wouldn't have this gap. We've got this gap because manifestly, Sunday is not enough. You see, I'm going to try and feed you every Sunday. I want you to go out that door totally stuffed so you can hardly walk to your car. That's my longing for you every Sunday, to feed you as much as I can. As I prayed with the guys before the service, I'm like praying, Lord, I've got one shot at communicating your word this morning. Help me to be right on the button, because this is it for a whole week. I want to stuff you silly, okay? But do you know what? However much you waddle out of that door, because you've overeaten, by Monday you'll be hungry, by Tuesday you'll be starving. Family meals are really important in our house. Imagine if we said to the kids, well, we ate yesterday. (laughs) Worse than that, we often have Sunday lunch 
At lunchtime, even though we normally eat in the evening, if I've got to be out in the evening on a Sunday. And Sunday's the big meal, isn't it? It's the feast of the week. We pack ourselves stupid and we share together. It takes us all afternoon to clear up the mess. But by tea time, one by one, our children make their way into the kitchen wondering what's for tea. Every week, Carrie says, there's nothing for tea. We have stuffed ourselves silly. They look at her with utter disdain. Listen, mother, we ate at lunchtime. Now it's tea time. Feed us. Evan says, now at about four o'clock on a Sunday, I want a proper tea, mum. What he means is, I will not be fobbed off with some cold sandwiches. It doesn't matter how much you stuffed me on Sunday. I need feeding now. Spiritually, he's right on the button. I need, in my daily week, to be fed right now. I need it every day. Almost every moment. Second challenge. Will I focus on God's wisdom? You see, in life, there are two teachers, aren't there? Wisdom and consequences. Two main teachers. They both teach quite well, actually. Wisdom and consequences. Both have a very high price. Consequences is costly. It can cost you your marriage. It can cost you your job, your family, your reputation. Consequences may cost you a lifetime. But you can learn from it, will be painful, often involves a lot of suffering. One day when I was a teenager, I went swimming with some friends at the Empire Pool, which was built for the Empire Games. It's now been knocked down to make way for the Millennium Stadium. And we came out with our friends. As we came out the door, we could see the bus that we needed to catch coming down the road, past the door, heading on to the bus stop, which was about 100 yards away. So I'm focused on the bus. We need to get on that bus. We're running. I'm looking at the bus. That's my bus. We need to catch that bus. Smack right into a concrete lamppost. That day, consequences taught me a very important lesson. Buses will not wait for you, even if you're watching them. And a bloody nose taught me a few other things as well. You see, consequences will teach very effectively. But it's very expensive, not least because you only learn something after the mistake. Folks, your life is too short to make that many mistakes. And I haven't got enough bones in my body to live like that. Then there's wisdom. You see, wisdom has a high price for sure. Wisdom's price is paid in advance. It's discipline and obedience and consistency and time. And if you pay the price, wisdom will pour into your life its promised tremendous riches. And the one supreme difference, wisdom will teach you before you make the mistake. And so Solomon, the wise One said, a prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. And we often hear it said of people growing up, there's no telling them, they'll just have to learn the hard way. Which is us ever mature adults saying, what a stupid way to go through life, learning by consequences. But sometimes we're all that stupid.
Sometimes we're all that stupid. And the book full of God's wisdom remains shut. And even when we open it, we give it a cursory glance and we never feed on the wisdom within it. So the cost of wisdom is discipline for sure, but the cost of consequences is regret. And we all know the pain that that brings. So I'm urging you to join us on this journey of choosing to focus on wisdom. And finally and lastly, in just one minute, will I foster God's presence? If you want to live the life that Jesus brings, you need the presence of God every moment. Very early on in the Bible, the great leader Moses teaches us many important things. One lesson is that the presence of God, the anointing of God, do you know what I mean? The sweet spot of God's presence. Do you know what I mean? That teaches us something too about where we are in our journey. The the tangible, deep presence of God through thick or thin, that, that, that. It's the most valuable thing in the world. And Moses puts it like this. He says, Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us. We're we're not going. If your presence does not go, we're stuffed. We're staying right here. It's over. David knew he'd messed up big time when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then arranged for Bathsheba's husband Uriah the Hittite to be killed. And he knew that God could throw the book at him. And he pleaded with God, God, whatever else you do, I've sinned and I've fallen, I've messed up my life, whatever else you do, please, I beg you, don't take your presence from me. David knew this. He knew that without the presence of God, it was over. Everything over. If we go out the door without the presence of God, it's over before it's begun. If you enter tomorrow without the presence of God, it's over before it's even started. And I don't mean this kind of silly thing that if you miss your quiet time, God's not with you. I'm not talking about all that claptrap. But that sense if the living God should stay and we should go without him, we, we might just as well not go. And so, as Moses imparted to Joshua, the one thing he'd learned, he said, don't let the book, whatever you do, Joshua... Whatever you do, Joshua, don't let the book depart. Feed on it, nourish on it, day and night. That's the context. That's the moment. That's the atmosphere. That's the air in which the presence of God will go with you wherever you go. I need that. I need that. And I'm dealing with nice Christians. How much more do you need it when we go out into the world? I need it. And Jesus said exactly the same thing. He said, look, it's dead simple. Man doesn't live on bread alone. And they said, what? He said, man doesn't... What? Bread was, a, was symbolic of your, of your physical, your, your basic needs. Man does not live on, on your... Yes, he does. Man can live on bread and water and shelter. Jesus said, no. Man cannot live on bread alone. And you will not live even if you add to your bread a nice house, two cars and a summer holiday. Doesn't matter how good the bread is. You still will not live, said Jesus. There's something richer and deeper that sustains our lives. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth. 
of God. Let's pray.